welcome back to a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. I am Perry, you might hear Dewey, and this is my wonderful co-host, Haley. Hello. I'm good, how are you? I am doing pretty well. Feel like somewhat alert today until I jumble up some sort of sentence I'm going to say in the later portions of this episode. Hey, it's The Witching Hour. We will say something wrong and probably every name. I feel like I should stop doing spoonerisms for fun because it's catching up to me and I say a lot of them accidentally now. Right. You're rewriting your language patterns. Yep. I mean, like, Fairly Houch is just not something I should say right now. Nor is Hitching Wower. It's not quite a spoonerism, but I was making myself chuckle with with a goofy... Uh... <laughs> it's kind of switching multiple letters in their names. That counts. But... I mistyped Godzilla versus Gonk. That, no. Okay. I see what you did. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it was Zodzilla. I don't know. I got it completely wrong. My fingers were a mess and it has tickled me for days. The spoonerism of Godzilla versus Kong would be Godzilla versus Gong. Right. It wasn't quite that because it was definitely Gonk. But uh, <laughs> yeah. See how much fun it is though? It is. Yeah, I I, uh, I will be chuckling over Gonk for a while. So other than mistyping Godzilla versus Kong, what else have you been up to? Watch any good stuff? Yes. Okay, so I actually um, have a total side tangent, not horror related. We love all. tangents on this show. We're all about the tangent. Uh, I just rewatched the the. Charlie's Angels movies from 2000 and 2003, the McG ones, which I don't think I had seen since they came out. And I definitely loved them at the time, um, especially Drew Barrymore. Was, I was obsessed with Dylan, her character at the time. She's um, the coolest. Say again? He's the coolest. Oh, she's so cool. But she's also like kind of a messy bitch and a party girl and like a rock and roll. I don't know. I vibed with her when I was younger. I, so point being, I am just completely floored by what a great time I had with those movies. I did not expect to kind of genuinely love them now. And like by saying that, I have to address that there are definitely big problematic elements, uh, particularly cultural appropriation in the first film can be really gnarly, uh, including some really unnecessary brown face at one point. But I like, I don't know, the whole time I was watching, I was like, this is such a gaze. And I can't decide what gaze it is because it's hypersexualized, all of them, but it didn't make me feel gross. It like, maybe it's because the actresses are clearly having such a good time. And, you know, every outtake is them laughing up a storm. I just like, I felt really impressed powered almost by the way they were using their bodies which is so weird for like that sort of aesthetic and it also okay this is what really like really vibed with me I never realized at the time that these movies come across as incredibly queer like there is so much gay vibing going on between all three of them uh like the part where like Lucy Lou publicly crops uh Drew Barrymore who's in drag and and there's so much there's so much gay stuff happening that at a certain point I just kept like every time something super queer would happen I'd be gay this is gay. this is a gay movie and I was delighted. I had the time of my life watching those. And so the second one, obviously not a great film, absolutely great time. I had a blast watching that movie. I have not rewatched the set full throttle, right? That's yes. what it's called. I have not rewatched the second in quite some time, but I do catch myself watching that first one a lot. And when that movie came out, I was so obsessed with it. I must have watched the movie itself more times than I could count. That soundtrack is also an <laughs> A-plus soundtrack that I listen to nonstop. And 
I loved that movie and those characters so much. I absolutely had to buy that little red Nokia. And I definitely had that for a period of time specifically because of that movie. So product placement can certainly work. Sure can. That's a funny thing to say because what I watched right after those two was uh, I revisited again for like the third time in the last year, Josie and the Pussycats, which is of course all about product (laughs) placement. Uh, And there's also it was not intentional to like follow. We were, we were just chasing the vibe, you know, like that early 2000s literary girly fun vibe. Um, there's a little reference in Josie and the Pussycats that pops up for like two seconds where it says uh, Diaz, Barrymore and Lou to play Josie and the Pussycats in a movie. I did not uh, remember that. It was, I would never have noticed if I hadn't just watched those. But another really funny thing about revisiting now versus who I was as a teenager, you know, I told you I like super identified with Dylan and that was Mm -hmm. my vibe. I'm such a different person now. I am all about Lucy Liu's character. She is efficient. She is driven by like intelligence. She has no time for dummies. She's getting shit done. I love her. I love her. I wonder if I was more drawn to Drew Barrymore's character because I'm the exact opposite. Like I see characters who are, you know, a little more free flowing and all over the place and just the life of the party. I'm like, maybe I want to be more like, I like you the best. (laughs) Deep down, I am a Lucy Liu as well. Oh gosh. I I love, she's no nonsense. She's getting it done. She's shit out of people in both movies. Oh, what and what a, Oh, they're all so beautiful. Oh my God. You make me want to watch it again. (laughs) And there's little things like, it's so dumb. And I'm not trying to say like, these are aggressively feminist films because again, the the gaze is certainly interesting. Um, Though I think that because they're so campy, maybe that's part of why it doesn't bother me as much. That's possible. Um, Ooh, I lost my train of thought. Lost it right Doesn't in the have anything book. to do with the litter robot that decided to turn while we're recording this podcast. No. Okay. Um, what was I? Oh, aggressively feminist. There are little touches that I really enjoyed. Like when Drew Barrymore takes out her scuba mask at one point she's got red lipstick smeared on her chin and they didn't like reshoot it to clean it up I don't know I loved that because red lipstick will ruin your life if you do anything but stand up straight I find things like that less distracting than I find a character waking up with a full face of makeup or or perfect hair when I see that it takes me out of the movie I wish that they would you know stop doing things like that across the board and let movie characters just be real people. Yeah, and I'm not saying like there's no glamming up to the extent you're talking about. A hundred percent, they are glammed up to the nines. But I did appreciate that little touch and that they kept it in. And there's little things like that. And I feel that maybe it's because Barrymore was a producer on both of the films. There is an energy to it that feels kind of pure and giddy like she is. I could see that. That And the, the first one is the Melissa McCarthy scene too, right? Yes, but what we also noticed is she appears in the second one, but apparently her scene got cut because you just see her go by in the background. Oh, really? Yeah. And then you see her for a split second in the credits. Huh. I kind of want to know what her scene was now. It was with... Um, I think it was with Bernie Mac. Is it, a, it, do you know if it's on the extras? I don't, I have not. Oh gosh, I've got to get a copy to get to those extras yeah, now. I, I think I've like, developed a full-blown obsession. I don't know how it happened, but I'm obsessed with these films. I'm, I'm with you on that obsession. And it also makes me think of how much I enjoyed the 2019 movie that just got ripped to shreds and didn't make a lot of money at the box office. And I think that's unfortunate because I wanted more Charlie's Angels movies. And I like, I loved this trio so much. The fact that I loved the next trio so much, just, you know, it suggested to me that I was going to be really into it if it wound up uh, spawning another franchise, which it didn't. I know. I'm, I, you, look, I get why people didn't love it there. It does have problems, but I agree that the cast is fantastic. I'm obviously obsessed with Kristen Stewart, who isn't these days. And she's having, I think, the most fun we've seen her have in that movie. 
Um, you know, nobody lets her play quite like that. She usually plays really dramatic, mm-hmm. serious roles. Uh, but I also love that it embraced like the fantasy element of the costuming the same way that those 2000 movies did. And it's a fun, it's a fun time. It's not, I don't love it as much as I now love these older ones, but I did enjoy it. And my hope, I know Diaz doesn't really act anymore, but I really, really hope that at some point they like rally and make a a new one. Cause I could see that. All right, here's my train of thought because the last one bombed so hard, like so hard, probably would take a really long time for another movie to be made, but Netflix is all about their algorithm. And you can tell by the people they've gotten into business with that a lot of times they go for big stars who people don't go to movie theaters so much for anymore, but they always wanna watch. So like Adam Sandler, uh, Jennifer Aniston, that is exactly Drew Barrymore, Lucy Liu, and Cameron Diaz. And I think it could do so, so well on streaming. This is a much bigger topic, but the way you just phrased that, is there anyone, like an individual, that really gets people to the theaters anymore? I think it's brands. Can we? Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's about the, the individual or the movie star anymore. It's like, if you want to go with the cliche answer and say Tom Cruise, like, Look at what happened with the mummy. I mean, it was a shit movie, but still. It's it's the the brands. It's Marvel. It's Star Wars. Um, and sometimes, as we've seen, you know, with some of the DC films that didn't work, that doesn't even always get the job done. People are very selective about what they'll pay ticket prices for. Well, just goes to show that streaming is the future. Uh, no doubt. Anyway, that's, I'm trying to manifest that. Bring them back for another fun, rigid, and McGee has that Netflix deal thing. He's working oh, with that's so true, yes. I, I will second that and hope that the power of, of two manifests <laughs> it for sure. I really do want to see that. Um, what about you? Did you watch anything fun this week? I, I pretty much only watch things for ladies night now. Makes sense. You you know how intense I am when it comes to prepping for things. And it's like if there were enough hours in the day, I would literally watch someone's filmography from top to bottom, even like the crap that I'll never reference in the conversation. Like I just <laughs> know everything. But with that in mind, I'll tell here. Actually, here's a good transition to one of our stories. Okay. So one of my upcoming guests is Jessica McNamee for Mortal Kombat. And that gave me an excuse to rewatch The Meg. Uh-huh. I, li- I liked that movie quite a bit. And I liked it just as much when I rewatched it. It's like, you know, would I have preferred to see the, the R-rated super bloody version? Yeah, that might have spoken to my sensibilities and my taste a little more. But it's a pretty fun action-adventure movie. And there are some really good set pieces in that thing. I agree. Didn't I think we saw that together? I think there were a bunch of us that Did saw it screen. together in an unusual theater, like a yes. theater that we don't often go to for screenings. I would say perhaps a theater that's the only time I've been there. Was it a downtown LA theater? I don't remember that. I, I can remember I, the layout of the theater. Can I? Very <laughs> But yeah, I had fun with it. I agree. You know, it's not maybe the shark people shark people the shark movie people were looking for because it is very like family friendly as far as shark movies go and it definitely suffers from like that trying to service every international market thing it has going on Mm -hmm. but uh it is it is fun and to to sort of lead into that story it sounds like maybe the sequel might be going more in the direction we were hoping for yes um so right now we are looking at some quotes from ben wheatley who's current currently making the rounds for his new movie in the earth and apparently he was talking to comicbook.com and he said a lot of it is respecting the meg and trying to make sure it's a great Meg film, as in the sequel that he's working on. And as you can see from the movies I've made, they're not necessarily, it's not 
when you go and do Doctor Who, I don't completely change it because I wanted to do it. I didn't want to necessarily make it something completely different that nobody recognized, you know? So there's that element of the back and forth. And then Wheatley continued and said, but it's an opportunity to do action on such an insanely large scale that it's just unbelievable from doing Free Fire, which was, I thought, was all my Christmases came at once in terms of action. This is just unbelievable. And just doing the storyboards for it, just thinking and going, oh, it's just, I feel a heavy responsibility for it to make sure that it kind of delivers to all the big shark fans out there. Right. I'll take that. I guess I really was just focusing on the to all the big shark fans out there and, and leaning into that. These sound like very safe and general comments to me. Like nothing's really steering me in one direction or the other. I'm glad that he recognizes big shark fans out there, I guess. But I don't don't know if this really uh, colors my expectations for the sequel versus that first film in any specific way, even in in terms of looking at Wheatley's filmography and how that might might change it. Because if anything, it sounds like it's not going to change it very much. Like he just wants to make a big action movie and referencing Doctor Who as in like, I want to go in there and not necessarily change it up. You know what I mean? I do. Um, I think that's the part I kind of like glossed over in favor of like, yeah, shark fans, that's me. Um, But I also think that Wheatley is a filmmaker that can't help but put his stamp on things to a certain extent. He's so distinctive in the way he approaches filmmaking. And so I think that by the nature of those quotes coming from him versus somebody like John Turtletaub, who I mean no disrespect to and I find makes very crowd-pleasing, enjoyable films, it just hits different, you know? Yeah. No, I know know what you mean. I mean, that that movie, The Meg, very much felt like a family-friendly John Turtletaub action adventure. Yes. And I think they did that quite well again. But I had read... I haven't read the entire Meg series. I only read that first book and it's got a very, very different feel to it. And it, it was a feel that I wanted to see uh, get a darker take on the big screen, but I wound up liking what I got. I think the big question here is, is, is this movie even going to happen? There's a lot of movies that, you know, were lined up to get sequels that felt like a sure thing before the pandemic hit. But now that the entire market has been shaken up to such an extent Is this still a top priority for Warner Brothers? And then I also read the last line of that first quote, which is, so there's that element of back and forth. I'm not necessarily Mm -hmm. saying I think this is going to happen, but the other concept that comes to mind when I read that is creative differences. And I just hope that that back and forth winds up landing in a position where both Wheatley and the studio are happy. And it's not one of those situations where Wheatley is to be like, sorry, guys, creative differences. It's not for me anymore, which, you know, it's it's in the realm of possibility for just about any filmmaker out there on any big property. A hundred percent. And especially a distinctive filmmaker like Mike or like Wheatley. Um, I hope not. I think that the enthusiasm that comes through in those quotes to me makes it seem like the project is definitely still alive. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think you get two paragraphs of big quotes like that if they haven't heard from the studio in forever. That's very Uh, true. I hope so. The thing is, there'll always be more shark movies. They pretty much always perform. Everybody loves them. Should I, should I reveal some of the quotes I got from Jessica McNamee? I'll I'll give it loosely, but you'll get the you'll get the full quotes transcribed next week. I I feel like part of the reason why I'm like, like, I hope this comes together is because she hasn't heard anything about an update on the sequel yet. And it does it does. I know her character is not the most pivotal thing. And you could probably make this movie with a brand new ensemble around uh, Jason Statham. But I do envision it going forward, keeping that core team together. And given her comments to me, my interpretation of them were when the first movie came out and did very well, she was expecting to be a part of a sequel. And it's just been a long time. And now, like she kept saying it was on her to check in on it. Mm. So it's interesting she is relatively unknown at this point though Marto combat could change it so i wouldn't take her perspective as sort of the be all end all on something like that not that i think that's what you're doing you even no. know that 
But it's, uh, it's also another thing that I need to keep in mind when interpreting her comments is that Ben Wheatley is involved in the development and the pre-production yeah. in a different way than an actor might be. They not they might not get the call until they're actually ready to move forward with the production. Right. Once that back and forth has been settled. Yes. Uh, it's intriguing. I'm intrigued. And it's one of those things where the second you hear Ben Wheatley is doing a shark movie, especially the Meg level franchise shark movie. You're like, well, I obviously have to see that. And I'm going to be curious about every piece of information until I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. And at least this gives me some time to read The Trench, which I meant to do earlier and did not. That's the second book in the series. Gotcha. The first uh, book. Have you read the first book? No, but I remember you talking you about how much you liked it. You And I think you would really like it. <laughs> I, I should check it out. I also, I don't want to be wrong about this and I didn't have time to totally do my due diligence here, but I did read in a report that Statham is expected to have a bit more creative involvement this time around. And Ew. that's interesting to me because he gave a pretty spicy interview to us back when the first one came out where he wasn't exactly covert in his feelings that he was a little disappointed that it was toned down and let's say, I don't know, a bit for shark puns, a bit more toothless than he was hoping. Um, let me see how I had it open in my window. And his his longer answers in this interview are interesting, but it is really funny to see how much, how little he spoke compared to Steve at points. Oh, well, I, that, that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> but he does, he, he, he put a little spice in the mix, you know, I, I like him because he generally is one of those interview people who will just say what he's thinking. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of his brand is, you know, sh- straight talking tough guy, right? Uh, but I will read a couple quotes that if it's true, and again, I apologize for not having time to fully research this, but if it's true that he has more creative um influence this time around it does lead me to believe it might be a bit more adult oriented because Steve asked how much did it change from when you signed on to what ended up and Statham said a lot scripts totally different there was so many different sometimes you just go how did it happen how did it go from this to this to that you can't keep a track on it I guess if you have to if you have the control to keep it a certain way you would but you don't which is interesting if he does have more control this time around. They have a movie to make. They have so many people deciding on what action stays and what scene stays. In the end, they want to put something at the beginning. Well, that's confusing here. Oh, the whole thing at the beginning where I do a rescue on the sub, that was not in the script that I read. That was all brand new stuff, good or bad. I'm just letting you know. He goes on to say, I'm just saying it was radically different. I guess in some ways your imagination and your own perception of what it's going to be is its own worst enemy, just because you should always try and not narrow that down and imagine what you want it to be and just go for the ride. John's interpretation of this is a fun end of summer movie. It's full of humor. It's a little bit more directed to a different taste of what my own is in terms of I like more gory adult stuff. I'm a lot older but I can't speak for what this film could possibly speak to a younger audience. And then <laughs> my favorite quote is very short. A couple questions later, he goes down, asked about the, the rating and if it could have been hard R versus the studio wanting to make a four quadrant film. He goes, yeah, but you go, where's the fucking blood? It's like, there's a shark. <laughs> I have to agree. <laughs> I... I do have I do have to give Steve credit for this. It's a very it's a, a very uh, it's a very solid back and forth on his part. Absolutely, I love this interview. I think about it a lot just because it's so casually spicy. Like he's so casually being like, "I liked it better before." I feel like a lot of the fun I'm having with this interview is I I know both of their voices so well. Mm-hmm. It's like. It doesn't matter that this is a print interview. I could see the two of them having this conversation and I'm very entertained by it. I know. I wish I could do a Statham impression. Those, those quotes would have landed a lot better. 
<laughs> anyway, I hope that if it is true that he has more control this time around, it certainly sounds from like what he said, he wanted it to be more of the R-rated version. So I'm hopeful. Yes, I am. I'm open to that. Can I sidetrack one more time? Because I did watch yeah. something else recently that has nothing to do with genre, but it makes me really happy. So I want to share it. Please. Have you watched Ted Lasso? I haven't, but I hear it's the best thing ever. Okay. So I, w- I was teetering on being a little asshole about it when it started to sweep award season and you know uh, Sudeikis is there in his hoodie and I'm like everyone's watched this thing and they're all excited and I'm not part of the club so like I'm just not going to be part of the club I'm not going <laughs> to watch it and then thankfully someone encouraged me to watch it recently because holy shit that that show is really really good and Jason Sudeikis is so good in it but I feel like a big part of the reason why I feel the urge to highlight it right now is because it truly feels like the content we need. Mm. I mean, how shitty can a year be? Right. This this show is essentially all about a man who just wants to spread good and make people happy and embracing the mentality that sports isn't always about winning. Sometimes you need to, you know, put having fun and just a healthy lifestyle above the necessity of a win. And I feel like his energy is, is radiating off screen in a way that is having a positive effect on me right now. I still have the finale to go. So I know something that I just said might be addressed a little more, but I, I really adore this show and it's making me so happy right now. Maybe I'll try to squeeze it in this weekend. It's not long, right? No. The only reason I'm I'm being slow to binge it right now is because I'm sharing it with the family. So I need to not get too far ahead of them or I'll get in trouble. Apple TV Plus? Yes. Okay. I don't have that, but maybe I have screeners. I will investigate. Do you own an Apple TV? No, ma'am. Mm. The, only, the only reason that... I was able to, so my parents have Apple TV plus, but the Apple TV that, that I have isn't a, 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 an account that's subscribed to Apple TV plus. So, so basically I could watch it in one room with them, but if I go into my room and my TV, I can't watch it unless I sign out and sign in and I'm too lazy to do any of that. But because I have a newer Apple TV in here, it came with a, a year free. So right. if anyone does have a new Apple TV out there and you don't want to pay for another subscription, do know you have the access to a year free. You just, if, again, if you don't want to pay for it, you have to remember to cancel it in a year. Right. I do think I'm not like here to sell Apple TV, but you know, so much of my job is wrapped up in the streaming services. I do think it's relatively reasonably priced for the content they offer, isn't it? Like four ninety nine a month. Four ninety nine a month. Yeah. yeah that's when I when I saw that price, I was I was being a little less snobbish about actually paying for it after this. But you know, the the other good thing about having the situation while I'm here in New York is I think it's gonna it make me a cord cutter when I get back to LA. Because my plan is to to bring this Apple TV back there. And at this point, I have conditioned myself to only use the Apple TV for my streaming services. I mean, I don't really watch very much cable TV anymore. I, uh, in where I live, we do have cable, but I haven't turned it on in over a year. I use all streaming pretty much. Side tangent on a side tangent. Uh, Juno Temple is in it, right? Juno. Finally, Juno Temple gets a good role. Yes, I love her. And, you know, I I can't say that I've watched literally everything on her her filmography because I haven't. But I will say that 95% of the roles I have seen her in are the same type of role every single time. And I don't think that uses her talent Mm -hmm. enough. And I'm just honestly sick of seeing her play that kind of character it's the same you are not wrong because I have seen most of her resume I'm weirdly huge Juno Temple stan like I just have always super enjoyed her vibe her whatever she's putting out there I 100% pick up so I kind of try to always well except in atonement fuck her in atonement but um (laughs) (laughs) 
it's not her fault she's a child character it's just an unlikable situation um i it is this very sexualized young girl in a predicament i mean even going back to atonement that is a lower key version of what i'm talking about if only everyone could see my excessive nodding as you describe <laughs> that. It's, yeah, this this is, is not that. And her character in this is just, like, so whip smart and charming and has this, like, infectious warmth to her. I absolutely loved her in that role. Awesome. That just makes me want to watch it even more. I wish that my microphone was closer to Dewey because he is in full purring mode right Aww. now and it's adorable. He's a happy cat. He's ve- very happy right now. That's good. Do we want to move into another story? Yeah, probably should. Don't you I think? Have, how long we'll have be, we been we'll talking? I, I don't know how I don't. long we've been talking for. A good, a good minute, I'd say. Okay. All right. Do we want to do our, our trailers? Oh yeah, sure. All right. Let's, let's start with the big one. Did you, did you watch the latest trailer for Zack Snyder's army of the dead? Well, what do you think? I think that's a big old yes. The better question would, (laughs) did you like that latest trailer? I surely did. I did indeed. Um, I remain a hundred percent Okay, I will say I remain 98% on board with this film. The only thing that gives me a little bit of a hang up is uh, often intelligent zombies just don't play as well for some reason. Mm-hmm. It, and it's, I don't, I don't have a problem with them. It, it just seems to me that usually that's best implemented in like a subversive, almost comedy take on the material. But I'm super willing to see what they're going to do with this energy, like I, of, of these smart zombies. I understand. I understand why you would think that. And I, I was surprised to see how they're going to try to push the boundaries as far as, you know, the quintessential big screen zombie. Mm-hmm. But that that kind of intrigues me and excites me. <laughs> like really? I'm re- I'm really curious to see to see that element and also like the animal element is just so damn cinematic that I'm very <laughs> much here for that as well. Love that. Absolute nonsense and I love it. I mean, like there's just something about zombie animals is another thing that's really hard to pull off, I think. Uh you think back to those dogs and Resident Evil and yes. um what it was is, what was the uh, Romero movie where he he leaned into that? The animals, yeah, with the with the horses, the one on the island. Oh, is it Island of the Dead or something? No, it's, I it's, feel like it starts with an S. Survival of the Dead. Survival of the Dead. Yes, um, it's tough to pull off, uh, and also you know to mention Romero, like he also did Smart Zombies and sort of planted that seed with Day of the Dead. Um, but it was a very thoughtful, slow burn approach to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's such a, I'm cu- they, I guess what this trailer made me realize is they're trying to take on a lot of things that are hard to pull off. And that doesn't make me not excited for the film. It makes me more excited to see if they can do it. Yeah, I've, I've got some pretty high hopes for this one. And then if you want to add in you know, Zack Snyder's visual instincts. I mean, can you have given him a better playground for a zombie movie? I mean, we've only seen trailer footage, but I'm already fully convinced that even though the visuals excel in all of the trailers we've seen thus far, like, I know he's got more in his back pocket. It's not a situation where like, oh, they're going to reveal the good scenes. And then like, no, he's got many, many more where that came from. And I fully believe it right now. And when you talk about a playground, I think that's something that had not, well, I know that something that had not occurred to me until watching the trailer was how fun Vegas is in terms of what the zombies will look like. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for the costumes. <laughs> I, like, I like that element too. And I'm also getting a good feeling about this ensemble because I also like, 
you know, actually going back to our conversation about the Meg, you know, the Meg is a, a high, a high concept scenario with a killer shark. And that is somewhat akin to the high concept zombie outbreak type concept. But the reason why I'm so drawn to the Meg might be more so because I enjoy that ensemble and I like seeing those people on screen together and I like their chemistry and I'm getting signs from the promo material thus far that this is going to be another ensemble that I just plain old enjoy watching and spending time with. I don't think I've ever not enjoyed watching Batista. So that's like already, already a win. And then he's surrounded by people who seem really interesting and engaging. I'm, I'm, I really am afraid that my hopes are too high for this movie, but I am so excited for it. Yeah. I, you know, I understand that conversation we always have when we go into reviewing a movie and it's like, you're just hard on it because your expectations were so high. I mean, you know, that's why there's not just one movie critic in the world. That's why there are many. So you can get the reaction from a variety of different people who are coming at a particular movie with, with different taste, with a different perspective. So I feel like you should embrace the fact that you're really excited and apply that to your experience and then share your thoughts with the world. You are right. I do embrace the excitement. You just never want to talk yourself into like no choice but disappointment. Uh, I, I never want to be like, this is going to be the best movie I've ever seen because every time except the best movie you've ever seen will be wrong. No, that's true. And that, that can also tie into the idea of, you know, even when we could look back at WandaVision predicting what's going to happen from episode to episode and then being disappointed when your theory doesn't pan out. It's, you know, I think there is nothing wrong. And in fact, I encourage people to embrace their enthusiasm and anticipation for a movie. It's just, you know, it's on you to keep that in check when it's not exactly what you imagined and making sure that it not being what you imagined doesn't equal it's bad, but you are just, you know, you're... Your criticism is based on the movie that you got. Yes, I think that's exactly what it needs to be. Uh, you said it perfectly. Base your criticism on what it is, not what you wanted. Yeah. Uh, I was talking this morning to someone about how I remain utterly fascinated by how WandaVision turned out to be like an eight-week experience of pop culture mass hysteria and how everyone was consistently so far ahead of themselves. And my absolute favorite was the week where the internet convinced themselves that Al Pacino was gonna be in it. Oh. That's such a huge jump. I thought you were gonna say the week where Evan Peters stepped in and we're all like, it's happening. It's the Fox and Marvel yeah. movies combined. No, but that at least that was in the text of the show. So it made sense. The Al Pacino thing was based on those goofy Paul Bettany quotes. And it was just so funny. Yeah. All those Paul Bettany quotes. What a, what a master trolling. Oh man, Paul, you devil. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm glad, I'm glad that's over with though. He's lucky I love him so much. Yes. <laughs> All right. Next trailer. Wow. Let's go with Benny loves you. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, first, just in case anybody out there does not know what this is, the movie is uh, set to premiere in select theaters on May 7th, and then it's going to be available on demand on May 11th. And here's the synopsis. After the accidental death of his parents, Jack's comfortable lifestyle comes to an end and he must sell his family home. Des uh, desperate to improve his life, Jack throws out his childhood belongings, including his beloved plush, Benny. It's a move that has disastrous consequences when Benny springs to life with deadly intentions. That is a mighty fun concept. Mm -hmm. It does not look like this movie executes it well enough, though. I, I, I had fun with the trailer. I, won't, I thought, okay, first of all, I didn't really get that plot from the trailer necessarily I just got silly killer plush um but I think I'm a real basic bitch and honestly just the way that plush laughs delighted me yes that's all I needed <laughs> I'll, I'll agree with you on that it was a it was a fun trailer but I am afraid it's a concept that makes for a fun trailer and not a fun enough feature film totally fair and a little afraid that the gag will grow old. And I guess, I guess for some reason, I'm connecting the dots to uh, 
Willie's? What Wally's? What's the Nick Cage? Is it Wally or Willie? Wonderland. Willie, and I always want to say Wally. I even saw the movie now, and I'm still making that mistake. Um, but I'm connecting the dots between the two as far as a really cool high concept that wound up disappointing me because of its execution. So I th- I think some some of that is is coming over to this movie now. So I, I'm gonna check it out. The trailer the trailer sold me, but I, I'm a little concerned. I, I get that. I'll be honest, I hadn't heard about this at all until we launched the trailer. Yeah. Just a nice surprise for me. I was like, what the hell is this little goofy looking thing? And and yeah, I am pretty basic. As soon as that thing started giggling, I was like, all right, that's a, that's a fun cue. I'll enjoy that. I happen to have been watching the trailer out loud in a movie, in a, in a room in the house that my mom was in at the time. And she's like, that sounds like a good movie. So apparently <laughs> the trailer audio is very good too. Maybe yes, it's just a Benny laugh. We just, we love that sound. This is yeah, probably something we watch together, though. And I do like when something comes out of nowhere because, you know, we usually have our ears so close to the ground on everything yes. um, as a part of the job that I love a, a surprise. Yep. It seems to have good reviews out of festivals, but you know how that is when there's only like five reviews. And Yeah, th- that that might have given me given me pause as well. So yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I mean, we'll be able to see the movie soon enough at this point. Okay. All right, we have one more trailer for you guys. This one is for a movie called Flashback starring Micah Monroe and Dylan O'Brien. Dylan O'Brien plays a young man who's living his best life until he starts having horrific visions of Cindy, that's Micah Monroe's character, a girl who vanished in high school. After reaching out to old friends with whom he used to take a mystery drug called Mercury, Frederick, his character, realizes the only way to stop the visions lies deep within his own memories. So he embarks on a terrifying mental odyssey to learn the truth. I'll tell you, I'll watch any movie with Dylan O'Brien in it. I am fully convinced that he could take even the most garbage material out there and bring it to a watchable, if not pretty solid level. So it didn't matter what I thought about the trailer. I will say, though, I don't think the trailer really conveys the idea super clearly or in an engaging manner. So I don't know if the the trailer is the best selling tool ever, but they've got it with the cast in this case. And that's enough for me. I will co-sign all of that. And I apologize. There's a leaf blower right out my window if the audio is a bummer right now, guys. Um, We good. uh, I think dylan o'brien is so great what was the one that that slept on last year love and monsters love and monsters is an academy award nominee what a fascinating piece of information (laughs) (laughs) i i really enjoyed that movie and i thought his performance is kind of what holds it all together uh in addition to a really charming script and everything but i also have to agree but that is a confusing trailer. I had no idea what that movie was about. Uh, and I mostly, my takeaway, which is something that I think somebody said in our work Slack was that kind of looks like synchronic. Yeah. Um, now that you read the synopsis, it doesn't sound like it, at all. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, uh, Cause I'm very far removed from my latest synchronic the viewing synchro- the drug synchro- synchronic transports you to a different time period right yes based on something Micah Monroe says in this trailer I feel like this is almost like a multiverse take on that where the drug right. they take you know creates a different branch of yourself which is really interesting it's, yeah I just wish it came through more in the trailer because I definitely did not understand that yeah like I'm not confident in that explanation whatsoever <laughs> which is you know problematic when you're at the beginning of the selling phase of a movie with a trailer yeah uh but I like I like Dylan O'Brien a lot I think that he is a hell of a leading actor it he already is but in the making in terms of being more known for that mm-hmm. um and I I think that Something about him is always read as really mature to me. So I think he will age into that even better. I have very, very high hopes for him going forward. I think he's going to keep crushing it over and over and over again. All right. Next thing. Yep. How about a little anniversary talk? Hell yeah. Scream 4 is kind of old now. (laughs) It's 
10 Help. years old. <laughs> 10 years old. Help. Help. I know. Can I tell you something really embarrassing? Yes, please. Do you know that from, I guess, the years, I would say 2009 through, let's say 2015, I was a press note hoarder. Ooh. So the other day I wanted to make some space in the room that I'm in, Mm -hmm. but I didn't want to throw the thing out that I needed to move to make the space. So I decided to clean out some bins in a closet Mm -hmm. to very like pounds and pounds of paper, press notes, press notes. I get it. What am I doing with those? Why did I, I bring this up? Oh, I bring this up because you know what press notes were in that bin? The Scream 4 press notes. Well, those are cool to have. I may, I've been doing mass like uh, purges on my belongings. I'm trying to have less stuff and more space. I have held on to a stupid amount of press notes and I forced myself to throw all of them away except like five movies I, that are some of my favorite movies. I threw all of the press notes away but I kept a couple of, you know, like things that would be like almost more like keepsakey. Yeah. Like I had some stuff from, you know, trips to CinemaCon and San Diego Con. Like that's the stuff I kept. But those press notes went in the trash. Haley, I cannot tell you how many pounds of paper I threw away. I am a paper hoarder and I completely know how heavy space consuming and unnecessary it is. I, I, I like almost passed out when <laughs> the, the, the garbage bag that I had filled up. It's just ridiculous. But anyway, Scream 4 is 10 years old. Yay. Happy birthday, Scream 4, a movie in the franchise that deserves way more credit than it ever got. That is correct. And I'm happy to see this week a lot of that take flying around on pretty much all the pop culture websites. Thank you for catching up. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that a part of the problem is that the film was ahead of its time. It was talking mm-hmm. about things that people at the time found to be like more annoying and maybe ridiculing from a like sounding like yeah okay old man making fun of young people and their obsessions with you know internet fame and stuff 10 years later just completely accurate yeah so on the bullseye yep that's that's really that's really exciting to see a movie like that that leans into technology play well i was just watching man the show the show's name is escaping me right now i was watching i was watching a show that very much leans into the use of technology and social media and pop culture of the time and the show is still going oh it's have you ever seen younger oh yeah with sutton foster so someone recommended it to me but as as someone who is now living in 2021, I found it, even though I could see why a lot of people like the show, I found it a little difficult to watch the first episode, which first premiered in 2015. And that was only six years ago. Yeah. So much of the talk was, I mean, absolutely shackled to the time that it took place in. And, you know. I'm not saying necessarily that that's bad TV making or there's anything that they really could have done about that. But when something can lean into what's popular in what's popular at the time, but in a way that could still appeal to you later on and feel timeless to a degree, that's that's a real art and an achievement to me. And that's what Scream 4 does. That's a really interesting uh, comparison. And I totally get what you mean. That is the... I think why so many comedians don't like to make timely jokes and they're like, of course in stand-up that'll happen a lot, but in like their films and stuff, they want it to be timeless and evergreen and not topical, which runs out, you know, sometimes months later, a topical joke won't hit. So I went, I just went down a hole in my brain of thinking about Jurassic Park and the the unique system thing. Mm -hmm. 
Because it's like when I think about when I think about Scream 4, it's like some of the technology that they're using is obviously going to be dated, you know, in five more years from now. And it's going it, to it'll feel dated from that for that reason. But I think that some shows and movies out there are able to keep the visual of that dated technology while making the rest of it still feel current enough to to feel active, no matter how far removed we are from the release. And I think Jurassic Park is another example of a movie that can do that. Yes. And I think that what both did wisely is like, you don't see, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good example of what would be appropriate to the time periods, but I can't. So I'll just say like, let's say it was correctly aligned. You don't see people in Scream 4 specifically talking about like Vine or any, you know, specific social media approach. It's just the concept of how we behave online and seek that fame. Yes, yes. So big praise. Big praise, love it, can't get enough. And still to me, I think the best Emma Roberts has been. Oh my God, I love Emma Roberts and that so, so much. So much fun, just uh, absolutely delightfully unhinged. I also think Scream 4 doesn't get enough credit for it serving as a bridge from one generation to another. Yes. I I think it does a a very good job of embracing the legacy of the original trilogy while also taking a pretty significant step forward. I I couldn't agree more. And I do, I will continue to beat the I hope Kirby is in Scream 5 drum. No, you read my mind. I was just going to say the (laughs) thing. Thing. It's like, I know we're getting Marley Shelton in the next one, but I want Kirby back too. I refuse to let it go. If Dewey could survive being stabbed significantly in one and two, I think, I, yeah. I really do think she has a chance. I do too. And I think that if they could, well, this might lead us into something else we were going to discuss, but I think that they, if, if they can pull that off as a secret cameo surprise appearance it will be so fulfilling and thrilling to franchise fans all right so the reason why you bring up something else is because there there's another story going around right now scream related scream five specifically um bloody disgusting has the report and they're saying that the filmmakers don't want to take any chances with spoilers so apparently they used multiple versions of the script but now that the movie is in post-production, there are even multiple cuts being made, all to prevent possible leaks that could ruin the experience, which um, is something that the Scream franchise had done in the yeah. past. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not opposed. I'm, I mean, it's, it's, I guess, fantastic that they have the budget to do different cuts. Like, that's yeah. certainly something of a luxury. And... Uh, I would I would love to be surprised by a movie, which is so hard to pull off these days. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing that always surprises me about these situations is, you know, you're lucky to have every dollar you have and to prioritize the secrecy to such an extent that you want to put that money towards something that you know you're going to cut versus something that you know is going to be in the final version of your movie is it's never it's an. I understand the the urge to do something like that. It's never something that'll fully sit right with me, if I'm being honest. Something always feels a little wrong about that, but I don't want this ending being spoiled either. So I get that, and I'm not sure I disagree, but I'm also not sure I agree, because in terms of like what the budget is for, it's to create the optimal film and film experience for the audience, right? Again. I think it's fair to say that like maybe there is value in spending money on preserving that experience in a different way. That is a very good justification. I wonder what that line item is called. <laughs> Secrecy. <laughs> there you go. I mean, really, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of uh, franchise films out there did have a secrecy of sorts line item, whether it's for shooting material like this or, you know, I mean, even just to maybe accommodate, I'm just making shit up now, maybe even just to accommodate a second makeup trailer to keep someone's identity a secret or what happens to a certain character, I don't know, or, or even resources to keep paparazzi away from, uh, 
from, you know, getting past security and yes, thoughts of your movie. hundred percent. I, I think there is value in it. And I do understand the perspective of like, in, putting your budget towards something that won't be in the movie but I also think that maybe it's like a it's like a math equation with negative numbers maybe that's part of what makes it work could be could be I mean no matter what no matter what they do that's going to be my most anticipated movie of 2022 I can't I can't imagine how it could be topped I really hope we see a trailer or a teaser soon please I mean, I know 2022 feels like a ways away, but, you know, in normal times, about now is when you would start releasing teaser material. No, or it's like, if it, all right, this would be my prediction if it were normal times. They would have a San Diego Comic Con panel and we would get the first teaser there. Right, right. Which is not happening. No, I think. Gosh, it's so hard to know. You know, this it's not at a studio where you have like a firm grasp on their process. You know, when an MCU movie comes out, you know what that marketing is going to be like. I also think even when it comes to the MCU, I think a lot of the process at this point has been thrown out the window. Oh, well, it had to be. Yeah, like I wouldn't, I'm trying to think of a, of like a, a far, far away release it's like, what do you have any uh, late 2022 titles for the MCU? I, I don't do well with time. Um, All right, let's, let's just say Thor Love and Thunder. It's like, if you were to tell me, given that movie's release date, to give you a, uh, a prediction on the calendar as far as when we're going to see, you know, trailer one, trailer two, et cetera. I, I feel like I used to be really good at predicting stuff like that. And oh, now yeah. I wouldn't feel confident in it whatsoever because everything about the industry has changed so drastically. It'll be interesting to see if it does fall back into such a specific pattern once theaters open up again, yeah. um, or if it has fundamentally changed the way major studios decide to market their, their product. I am very curious to see how that stuff shakes out. I think we're over an hour. <laughs> I, I think we're getting there for sure. Do you think we could squeeze in one more? Yeah, let's do one more because I'm having a real good time. All right. I have a feeling I know which one you would want to do. You choose. Surprise me. All right. I'm going to go with Flanagan. Yeah. All right. So Mike Flanagan is making another movie. Deadline's reporting that he is going to direct and also produce a movie called, sorry, I'm reading all over this. It's it's an adaptation of the sci-fi horror novel, The Season of Passage by author Christopher Pike, if you wanna give it a look. So the synopsis for this is, Dr. Lauren Wagner was a celebrity. She was involved with the most exciting adventure mankind had ever undertaken, a manned expedition to Mars. The whole world admired and respected her, but Lauren knew fear. Inside, voices entreating her to love them. Outside, the mystery of the missing group that had gone before her, the dead group. But were they simply dead or something else? Interesting. Apparently Flanagan's going to uh, co-write the script with his brother, James Flanagan. I mean, I, this is one of those things sort of like what I was talking about with when you hear Ben Wheatley doing a shark movie, you go, yes, in. For me, it's Mike Flanagan doing space horror. Yes, in. Yes, that is exactly how I feel. I mean, it doesn't even matter with space horror. It's this is like just like Dylan O'Brien thing. This is a, you know, Mike Flanagan is involved. Yes, I would like to see that movie. The, I mean, the concept sounds the concept sounds intriguing. I'm curious how how psychological horror it gets versus, you know, steering into a different uh, subgenre. But I guess that's on me to read the book at this point. Right, right, right. Um, well, look, you know how much I love space horror. It is. I mean, Alien is my, my, one of my movie religions. I think it is one of the perfect movies. Um, 
and and you're right I with Flanagan we don't really know how much it'll lean into that sort of element of space horror if it'll go more psychological or even I guess I need to read the book to see how much is actually Mm -hmm. in space or if it is at all um but I'm I'm in and I like that he is staying booked and busy yes I I could not agree more he this this is the same author that did the midnight club that he's also adapting right so he must really resonate with this guy's work oh you might be right i had not thought about that i'm trying trying to confirm confirm that but i think you're right i I believe i am correct yes yes (laughs) the midnight club was released in 1994 oh wait where's the other one Now I can't find this one. Oh, and then this one was released in 1992. Okay. I mean, clearly he knows and loves this author. Good. And to that, to that effect, he actually had a tweet that was like, even said he, what song he's been dreaming of like setting the trailer to for decades. And he's, he sat with it a long time is my point. We should also probably emphasize how much success that Flanagan has had in adapting iconic source material. read my fucking mind, Perry. It was going to be the next words out of my mouth. He clear, like, that is clearly his, you know, his avenue to producing real good content because, I mean, you don't need me to list the titles, but because I love them, Haunting of Hill House, you can lean into Blind Manor from there. I am obsessed with Dr. Sleep. There is yet another title to mention on this episode of The Witching Hour that did not get nearly enough credit when it was released. That is an excellent movie. And I'm still pissed about what happened with that one. But hey, Mike Flanagan's in a good place now. He is. And even, uh, you know, even I have certain elements of his approach to adapting Gerald's game, specifically the end that doesn't essentially, I think, translate as well to film. However, that's an almost impossible story to adapt. That's what everyone said forever. And he did it fucking phenomenally. And I think that whatever my critiques of being too faithful on Gerald's game would have been, were obviously addressed by Dr. Sleep. He took swings with Dr. Sleep. He was not overly faithful. He adapted that shit. I would do just about anything for a True Not movie. Oh, I know. Anything. I I just, I can't handle how badly I want that. It's just never going to happen. But I'm going to say what I always say. Maybe a streaming show. It feels like a great concept to me. It does. And I noticed, you know, how we always are kind of one guide to how things do from our perspective is uh, traffic on articles Um, when it comes to streaming, since they don't release numbers like a bunch of punks. uh, Definitely, Dr. Sleep got a bump from going on HBO Max. Mm. Is that where it was? It was HBO Max, I think, or HBO. Anyway, um, yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a Warner Brothers movie, so you have to be right. Yes, it was Warner Brothers movie. Anyway, point being, I definitely get the impression a lot more people saw it on streaming than in theaters, which is not a surprise. All right. So maybe if we keep talking about it, we'll manifest a True Not series. That's right. HBO Max and we'll all be happy. (laughs) That's what we do here on The Witching Hours, manifest streaming projects. (laughs) Damn right. All right. Should we should we close out this episode? We probably should, or we'll be here all day. I hope we're not uh we're not stealing the Zoom room from anybody else, but it is what it is at this point. All right. Before we say goodbye to everyone, as always, Haley, what are you working on? What would you like to promote right now? Um, I would like to promote the 2000 film Charlie's Angels. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Go watch it. Um and yeah that's pretty much that's I don't have anything I really really need to like land a book deal or something so I have something exciting to promote on here um 
big leap from like a good story to a book deal. But again, we're manifesting. Oh, I, I just have this feeling that you will write a book. I have absolutely no clue what your book will be about, but it doesn't matter because it would be a Haley Fouch book. And that means I would read the shit out of it. I love you. Thank you. Um, if I, if I do ever have anything cool to promote, you can uh, probably see me do that on Twitter at Haley Fouch, or you can see me share a lot of memes on Instagram at Haystack yeah. You have good Instagram stories. Thank you. I, I try to curate them well. You do. Guess what? I'll be a broken record and I'll just promote ladies night. You guys already know next week, the episode is going to be with Jessica McNamee. We talk a lot about Mortal Kombat and a whole bunch of other stuff. This next one though, is with Aya Cash. Haley, she's so cool. Yay. She was so much fun to talk to. Just so chill and open. And she definitely has that mind for the business that I really appreciate. But We talk about a little of everything. She's got a new movie called We Broke Up that's coming out soon that I really did love. And we also spoke about the boys. We talked about her time on the set of The Wolf of Wall Street. A lot of fun stories there. So check that out. We'll have clips for you soon. And we'll have the full episode on Monday, which I believe is the 19th. So there it is. We did it. Dewey approves. He thinks we did a great job. I was just checking with him. Thanks, Dewey. Thumbs up all around. That's it. We're out of here. You've officially survived the witching hour. Bye.